last week, you'll remember how we considered the incredible vision that we had of Christ. And you know what? Even if you missed it last week, because of the joys of modern technology, you can probably jump back and click somewhere and find where uh, where we were. Um, now this week, we're turning and we're looking at the first of the seven letters to the seven churches. We're going to notice how the vision from last week is going to be expanded on. And that first letter we come to is the church in Ephesus. Now as far as history and context, you can find a lot of source material actually in scripture. You see, this is the same church that Paul writes the letter of the Ephesians to. Ephesians, it's an incredible read. It's worth taking 15 minutes and reading it through all in one go. It emphasizes that we are saved not by our good works, but we are saved by grace alone. It's the same church that Paul visits and which we find recorded in Acts 19. It's a key city at a key port and it's made famous for its temples and its shrine to Artemis, for its false witnesses, for its spiritual impulsors and for its idol-making trade. In fact, we read in Acts 19 that there was a full-blown riot here in Ephesus because of the implications of the gospel had on people because it called them to tear down their idols, to go against the culture and against the accepted traditions of that great city. Well, maybe you want to open your Bibles now and as we read in Revelation 2, it sounds like the church here has remained faithful. It hasn't given in. It hasn't compromised with their surrounding culture. And this is good news. But I wonder, has their stance and their attitude been without a cost? Well, let's find out as we read it together. You have your Bible there, Revelation chapter 2. We're going to read the first seven verses together. Unfortunately, we can't have it on the screen, so maybe you want to grab your Bible and listen as I read along. To the angel of the church in Ephesus writes, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those that are evil. But you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently, and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent, and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Amen. If you want to keep your Bible open there as well, as we'll be moving around it as well. You can keep it open as well. Make sure I'm not making it up as we go along as well. Social commentators will tell us that we live in a a post-truth world, we're told. Truth can now mean different things for different people. What I consider true is maybe not true for you. Hi, this is nonsense. You'll know that or even our boys can tell you the difference between what a truth is and what an opinion is. But I wonder, what's the difference? And what's the difference between truth and love? 
Or is there a difference? Is there a connection between truth and love? Or is there a, 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 are they mutually exclusive? If push comes to shove, should you choose one over the other? Like me, you will know some who claim that they, that they hold to truth, but yet they can be less than lovely. Maybe you've even heard people misusing Ephesians chapter 4 to say that they are speaking the truth in love. When often what they're doing is they're covering up some really hurtful, critical, and far from compassionate put-downs. But I wonder, can you hold to truth and yet not love? Can you hold to truth and yet not love? Well, this seems to be the, the situation that we find ourselves in here, doesn't it? As I thought that last week, this is a letter to the seven churches. That's significant. That's symbolic. It's to all churches, both then and to us today. So let us look carefully. Let us ask the Spirit to reveal to each one of us what we would have to learn from this passage of Scripture. What we would have to learn. We're going to think about it. And we're going to break it down into three ways. Okay, I'm going to see if I can do this right. There we go. Three words. Remember. <laughs> Remember. Repent and refresh. Remember, repent and refresh. So I wonder what the first thing that we notice is. Because there's a lot of positive things to be said for this church, isn't there? As he said, the church found itself amidst a culture of idol worship. Um, and presumably because they are commended for it, there are others who have not been as faithful. So the church here has stood up to these counterfeit religions. They have tested the false teachers and they have found them lacking and powerless. They are obviously demonstrating great discernment and wisdom in this regard. Not only that, but they have been marked as being enduring, persevering, patient. Others presumably have not been so. I wonder if you've ever had that experience or memory of being given a report card from school I still remember worrying about what it was going to say, wondering how honest the teachers were going to be. <laughs> I consider if this had been your report card, how would you have felt? Maybe you would have been thinking to yourself, well, this is okay. I'm doing pretty well here. This might have been, might have been a letter that would have led the recipients to think back and remember. To remember how they had been trailblazers and how they'd remained true and faithful. We know from, from other sources from the sec second century that the church still appears to be remaining faithful. So I wonder, as this letter is read, maybe the hint of pride might grow or a smirk growing across the face. Yes, we are the orthodox ones. You might say to yourself, there is no surrender to compromise. We are the faithful ones, you might boast. Yes, indeed, there is much to remember. And there's much to give thanks for. Indeed, times were good. But that warm, fuzzy feeling doesn't last long as it's quickly replaced by the sensation of a gut punch. As you read this, I have this against you, says Christ. Now this is not something that can be lightly dismissed. And for the believer, this message cannot sit comfortably with them. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. As you remember, things were good. But maybe you know yourself, they aren't that way anymore. Perhaps the reader knows that the love that there was at first has cooled. The devotion dimmed. Where there once was a zeal for the Lord, a joy of salvation, 
the sense of freedom from the gospel life lived and a passion to see others discover that same liberation. It has been replaced with apathy, with indifference, or maybe even a cruel, judgmental, critical spirit. Now the church that had once been known for their good works and for their discernment now has become some kind of a, a pseudo-morality police. A bit like the Pharisees of their day. Consider this thought. What was their calling to be? Both last week and today we see this visually demonstrated as they are to be light. But what are they now? I wonder if we can relate to this picture. To the sentiments expressed here. Have we ever looked back and thought things aren't the way they used to be? Now, I don't mean there aren't as many people in church today. That's a cultural shift. But this is a message for the believers. How has our love changed? Was our hearts once full of zeal, now grown cool? Or perhaps you know yourself that maybe you didn't feel that way in the first place. Maybe all you have ever known is unloving, begrudging, trying to do good works. If so, don't fear, but hear the gracious call of Jesus to experience refreshment anew. Remember? Repent. It's hard to express just how serious an accusation this is. So much so that we are shocked by the words of Jesus. Have a look for yourself. For those who do not heed this warning, shocking words in verse 5, for those who do not They'd abandoned the love they had at first. Yes, they might have resisted temptation to surrender or to compromise. Yes, they may have done good works and they remain true. But if they were without love, I'm sure 1 Corinthians 13 will be familiar to you all. It's often read at weddings. Wonderful. Love is patient. Love is kind. And it goes on to extol the virtues of love, including, remember, that love rejoices with the truth. But just before we come to the love is patient, love is kind, we read of the value and the necessity of love. We read, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, then I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Without love, I am nothing. I gain nothing. Yes, they were known for their patient endurance. For their good works. But without love? Paul's letter that he writes to the church underlines it, doesn't it? They're not saved by works. So they should not boast. They cannot boast because they are saved by grace. This truth seems to have affected their outward actions. But it hasn't had a lasting effect upon their heart. And now they find themselves in critical spiritual danger. But just at that moment, when they recognize the peril that they are in, they are offered a wonderful gift. They are invited to repent. Now why do I say that as a gift? Well, do you ever notice that once again, we are not treated as we deserve. How good God is to us. Our sins don't deserve to be forgiven. That warning that our light would be put out, that would be fair. That is just treatment. But yet notice how the Lord treats us with such kindness and mercy. Do you ever notice that? 
invites us to repent. We're invited to remember how it had once been, to repent and to return. How kind he is. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our spiritual apathy. And he gives us a chance to repent and to return. What about us? Perhaps we recognize also that in our heart of hearts, our devotion has waned. Is this a call, a reminder, wake-up call to us to repent? To repent of our indifference and of our apathy, our hardness of heart. Maybe to repent of a criticalness and those times that we've been filled with pride and to return to the love that we once had for the Lord. To return to the compassion that we once had for our neighbour. The concern that we once had for the poor or for the vulnerable. The church is called to remember, to repent, and to return. But not only is this a call to them and to us to return, but it's an invitation to be renewed, to be refreshed. Remember, repent, refresh. I think we all have that desire to return at the moment, don't we? Oh, and we all want things to go back to the way it used to be. But let's not get carried away. Let's ask ourselves, what was the way it used to be for us, for you? Was it a place of love for God and love for your neighbour? Was it a place of zeal and passion? Was it a place that was empowered by prayer and by devotion? For many of us, the answer will regretfully be no. Perhaps Jesus is calling us in this season not just to return to the way that it used to be before last January, but to be refreshed and discover the way it ought to have been, especially if we didn't know the joy of salvation. Maybe, is he calling us to repent, to trust him fully, maybe for the first time? Or maybe is he calling us to rekindle the fire that once burned? I wonder what we might do in response to this word. I wonder how the Spirit is prompting you today in your home. Might it be that in once again seeking to delight in him, choosing to, to worship and obey him, seeking to remind yourselves daily of his grace and his mercy to you, and seeking to live in response to that love that you first received? Or maybe are there concrete steps that you can take? Maybe do you want to, to set a, a, a pattern, a start a, a pattern of devotion, of daily Bible reading? I sent you a message on WhatsApp on Thursday. If you missed it, look back. There's one idea for you. Or maybe if you want to be encouraged by others, maybe you want to have your prayer life revived, maybe come along and join us this Tuesday night at 8 o'clock. Or maybe the change is going to be how you treat your neighbour. Or maybe you'll repent and consider how you treat others in church. Maybe this is a call to you to seek forgiveness to those who you hurt. Repenting of a judgmental and a critical spirit. Repenting of an unloving heart or a heart that has just grown cold. See, brothers and sisters, even if you're known for your good works, even if you hold fast to truth, 
but yet you do this without love. But spiritual danger, it's real, it's shocking, and it's serious. Remember, repent, return and be refreshed today. This message was clear to the church in Ephesus, and it's clear to us today. Yet we also see the consequences of such action in verse 7. And there is equally clear and equally as exciting. Look and read with me. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. What joy, what refreshment for our souls. To the one who remembers, who repents, will not only be refreshed, but they will receive the glories of the paradise of God. They will be called to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As you come to pray, brothers, sisters, friends, I asked at the beginning, what is the connection between truth and love? Is it possible to have truth without love? Yes. But do you see how dangerous it is? But is it possible to express genuine love without truth? No. As we heard earlier, love rejoices with truth. As we pursue true love for God, we can't help but to pursue truth. But mind the danger of the one without the other. Maybe today has caused you to remember how your love once burned, or maybe to reflect on the absence of flame. But I trust it will cause us all to repent and to rest in him to find our joy in him, to rejoice, be refreshed, and to receive. To remember, to repent, and to be refreshed. Let's respond to God now in prayer. Let's, let's pray together.